yeah, I think that my dad and my relationship, it's so special on so many levels. Um, I mean, how many people can say, first of all, that they ski with their parents or are coached by their parents, but then also to compete against him and have him be a coach on the team when he's not competing and, you know, to stand on podiums together. It's, it's something that I'll never really be able to fully put into words how special that is to me. Welcome back or welcome to the Wariski Podcast. This is Matteo Luzzeri, your host, and the goal of this podcast is to promote waterski, my favorite sport and the favorite sport of a lot of you listening to this uh, podcast. Episode 81, here we are, and it's the first part of my interview with Dorian Llewellyn. Dorian Llewellyn is the current trick world champion and one of those guys that has been setting records, um, world records in overall, which really, as we had a chance to hear with uh, Joel, um, basically are the pinnacle of water of tournament water skiing, uh, the, the highest level you can you can reach. Uh, I recorded this interview with Dorian in December, and it was a long interview, so I decided to keep it a little short in the first part. Uh, we really cover his junior years until college. And this is not to take anything away from the people that I've inter- interviewed so far, but I think that especially with him, we needed to take it a little easy and unpack those years properly just because of you know uh, his family, the fact that he was a multi-sport athlete until college and was pursuing two sports, namely skiing and hockey, at a very high level. And all those experiences shaped him into the competitive, professional, unbelievable water skier that he is now. And I just wanted to take this week to um, sit with his teenage years and and get the audience to, to think about it for a few days before we jump into what is going to be part two and most likely a part three also. Dorian, very interesting person to interview. Um, Very eloquent, extremely self-aware, and um, this will not surprise those who know him on a personal level, but it was very good to just stay with him, stay with his thoughts and sort of bring in my own two cents every now and then. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Um, before we jump into the interview, I have a couple of announcements. The first one is that I've uh, created a new tab on my website called Links, very simply, and I've put all the Waterski podcasts that I listen to and that I enjoy and that I know of. So one, check them out lot of good podcast content, uh, what is key podcast content out there right now. And two, if you know of some that I've forgotten or missed, well, let me know and uh, I'll add them very happily. The second one is not really an announcement per se, but more of a thank you to everyone who has been listening, uh, everyone who has been donating and deciding to support the podcast through advertisement. Uh, 
Uh, I have this goal that I've announced to get to episode 100, uh, which will be my first video podcast. Hopefully, if timing and scheduling works well, it should be out right in the middle of July, roughly. So um, all of this has been very encouraging and very motivating to continue pursue this this passion and th- that I have about podcasting. And then the third thing I wanted to say is that one of those adverts is here, has been here for me. I, I really appreciate their support. And this is the Flowpoint method, uh, which as many of you know, is that online water ski training program developed by Jenny Labaugh and Marcus Brown. And when I say that they leverage on years of experience, uh, it really is true. I mean, these are two high, extremely competent professionals who decided to spend hours, hours and hours and hours to put together a very comprehensive training program, like technique, water ski technique, fitness, nutrition, mindset. Like you really have a complete package to improve your water skiing. And I would say even beyond water skiing, like some of the your general health and, and, and wellness. Uh, and I, one of the things I really love, particularly for the period that we're in right now in the Northern Hemisphere, or at least in Northern Italy, where I see a lot of fog out of my window, is gym. And they really have good videos, properly explained exercises, um, showing proper execution. Obviously, Jenny... <laughs> Uh, seeing her execution is something that gives you a good understanding of what you should strive for. So very, very, very helpful. And the other thing is you are amateur, you're pro, doesn't matter. Like this, this flow point method system can really help you and bring your skin to the next level. So if you're interested, there's free trial that you can check out uh, by going to the waterskipodcast.com slash flow point method, one word or you can click on the link in the show notes. Um, you'll be you know, started with a free trial and then you can decide if you want to continue and become um, a subscribed member. So go and check it out, thewaterskipodcast.com slash method. Well, that's it. Uh, I just want to apologize for the delay with this, uh, the, the release of this episode. We opened up the entries for the San Gervasio Prime two days ago and the usual glitches and problems and but we basically have already closed entries for amateurs which is exciting after less than two days Um, but obviously there's a waiting list and then pros are also able to to register as well there were a few issues so the last 48 hours have been a little crazy and i didn't have time to publish but uh here it is first part of my interview with dorian llewellyn Dorian, welcome to the Water Ski Podcast, my friend. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time coming. We've been talking about it for a while, so I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, well, uh, what a pleasure to have you. I know we've been talking about this for a long time, and I think I said it to someone else. Sometimes it's easier to do Zoom like we're doing now, just set a time and meet, than being in Florida and trying to meet up and then it never works. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, no. you know, I'm glad we got to do it. For sure. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, just in general, in the ski community, every every community almost, it seems like we're so close. And, 
you know, we have so many different things going on in our lives and then you're like, oh yeah, let's do this. And, and you keep talking about it and it's just kind of a foregone conclusion that because we're so close together that eventually it would happen. And I guess that's, yeah, right. you get to this point and you just set a date and you do it. Exactly, exactly. The advantages of tech. Um, look, you are talking to me from, from Florida and I think... I want to venture in saying that's the that's the setting probably where my first question will be answered. And my question is always the same. I'm very predictable. <laughs> Dorian, how'd you get into water skiing? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think most people would kind of guess what the easy answer to this question is. Um, obviously, my family was the biggest part of why I even was into skiing, grew up in skiing, and knew what skiing was. Um, so yeah, the, the easy answer is my dad, my mom, and my grandparents, and my uncle, and everybody just as soon as I was able wanted to see me on skis and wanted me to at least share a little bit in this whole family uh, adventure slash legacy that we have. Um, but then if, you know, if I want to get more technical, I actually, I didn't really love skiing when I was younger. Um, I played a lot of sports and my parents, they... They never pushed me towards any sport. Actually, that's not exactly true. My mom really wanted me to be a golfer, but uh, ironically, that was the okay. one sport that I didn't want anything to do with, um, <laughs> which is funny too, because I love golf now, just a side note. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really love skiing. It, it wasn't something that I wanted to do every day. And if you know, grandma and grandpa came down, I would, I would ski for them because I knew it would make them happy. Um, and this is from when I was probably three till you know, nine, 10 years old, but I just wanted to do other things. Maybe that was partly just because I was a kid and wanted to do something different than what my parents were doing. And, um, around, and I was also, I was playing hockey a lot. My dad introduced me to hockey when I was young and at six, I started playing on teams and that progressed pretty quickly. And I got pretty good at it. I'd like to say, um, yep. and yeah, so I was doing that. I was playing soccer. I played a little basketball on the street with friends and, but I must say, every time I go to Austria, um, and this is why Austria holds such a special place in my heart, especially when it comes to skiing, uh, every time I was there, I would be with all the kids there, and and that was completely different than what I had here. Here was, you know, parents were still training for the pro events and the tour, and and then in Austria, it was, you know, summer camp, hang out with everybody, basically, and um, I love that. That was my favorite part about skiing, and... Uh, then when Sebastian, uh, Tangy Bennett's son, he, uh, he's my cousin, which not a lot of people know that. And, um, he started skiing and he, he fell in love with it right away. Um, and when we were nine or 10, I think he, he went out and tricked and he beat my personal best, which I always laugh because I'm fairly certain that, you know, you could do the math on the tricks, but I think it was just like 320 points or something. And right, right. that's what he skied. Mine was less. So I was like 260 or, you know, whatever, whatever the math is on side slide reverse back front. It might only be 200 points. I don't even know. Um, and so, yeah, when he did that, I got the competitive bug and, and I wanted to do it with him and I wanted to compete against him. And it was just something that, you know, naturally just came about because of my competitive drive. Um, and then, yeah, the rest is history after that. So I, I always... At this point, a lot of people might know that story because I always give credit to him and to the rest of my family, obviously, as well for getting me into skiing. But I think that because my parents never pushed me to ski, that's why it ultimately became a pretty simple decision when 
especially after high school when I when I had to pick if I wanted to play college hockey or ski as my job or try to, you know, ski professionally. Um, I think that's why it was easier to come back to it because it was my decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love the, so, so far we, we just got started and there's so many dualities, right. In, in your story. So, uh, pleasure versus comp, Austria versus us. Um, so I guess, you know, like, I pride myself of the fact that a lot of the listeners of the Waterski podcast do not compete, might have never seen a slalom course. Um, so give them a sense of why, like you said your parents were skiing in the Pro Tour, but just give a sense of who your parents were and where they were skiing, what type of tournaments they were doing, you know, just to give a sense of your upbringing. Yeah, so I was born into water ski royalty. That's the uh, the basic term of it, I would say. Um, when I'm in Canada, the best way to describe it is my dad, in my opinion, is the Wayne Gretzky of water skiing. Um, you know, no, I have respect for a lot of guys in this sport. And, um, but at the same time, when I look at my dad and what he's accomplished and, you know, he, obviously he just won the, uh, athlete of the quarter century. So it's not super out of the blue to say this, like he is the greatest three event skier of all time. Um, he's a nine-time world champion, 11-time world record holder. And the stat that I don't know if anybody will ever touch is the 117 pro wins. Like, the, not not just podiums, but yeah, first place. And that... Wins. In, incredible. And, you know, the, when you really see the, the size of that accomplishment is when you talk to guys like Nate or Regina or, I don't even know, like Ryan Dodd, Freddie, and... You know, obviously those guys are not Regina, but the rest of the guys, they're single eventers. So that does come into play. But, you know, when you talk to them, I think Nate a couple of years ago was at 30 wins. And if you think back, right. I mean, for five years or more, Nate's won every tournament. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, like I just said, they are single eventers, but at the same time, that definitely doesn't change the fact that my dad won 117 because, you know, he obviously had to be good enough to win in trick, jump, and overall. So, right. yeah. Um, I, I don't, I'm so, pretty sure that there's no slalom titles in there. I, I don't want to shortchange him, but literally, <laughs> literally shortchange. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. No, so that, that, that's my dad's side. And obviously my mom, uh, two-time world champ uh, and multiple-time podium uh, podiums at the worlds. I think she won 20 or more European titles. Um, and my mom's story is amazing too. I, I actually wrote about this for a college application back when I first was applying. Um, and my mom was a, a gymnastics national champion at the age of six in Austria. And she told my grandmother that one day she'd be a world champ. She just didn't know what sport yet. And at six, okay. <laughs> yeah, at six, she already had the the mental fortitude to realize I'm not going to, or it might actually, sorry, it might've been nine, six would be really young to figure this out. So at nine, she, she was national champ. And then she realized I'm not going to be better than national champ. Like, I, I don't think that I can make it on an international scale. And so she stopped and she started rowing and she became Austrian national rowing champ at the age of 16. And then again, she realized, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's, it was, I mean, rowing is a really tough sport. Um, and also she didn't know if she could, again, be as good as she wanted to be on an international scale. And so she was rowing on our hometown in Gmunden, Austria. And um, 
saw skiers and I probably Franz Oberleitner and a couple of the guys at the local club were skiing and, and she tried it out and they, they were blown away. They said, man, this girl, she has natural talent. And they started bringing her out to the lake in Fischelham. And that's where I grew up skiing. Um, and then, yeah, she moved to Swiss at the age of 18. So only like one or two years after she just started skiing, she worked, uh, for ski sets. She had no money. She didn't really speak all that much English. And then five years later, which is absolutely mind blowing. Five years later, she went back to Europe and she won the Europeans. And then the rest <laughs> is history after that. So yeah, my parents in terms of skiing are as, as you know, as high as you can get in terms of accomplishments and stuff. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. In terms of accomplishments, talent, uh, determination, which, you know, knowing your mom personally, I, she always comes up and is a big example to me of someone who's particularly motivated and determined when she has a, a goal, she goes for it. Um, so yeah, that's the context. And yet you said they never pushed you into skiing, right? Um, but I, I assume, I assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, just the fact of skiing, because obviously you were skiing with, with dad, with mom, what, what kind of role that played? Because you must have known who they were on a skiing level, and then there you were doing, you know, as you said at first, like anybody else, sides like reverse, back front reverse. Like you, were, you had to start from zero as well. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I obviously I grew up watching them compete at the Masters and at different pro events and some of my earliest memories are, are watching them compete and win. Uh, I remember one year where uh, I was standing on the dock at the masters back when they had that floating dock, which we, we should bring back because that was pretty cool. Um, and I remember, you know, Freddie and my dad were top two, which has happened so many times and they've gone back and forth so much. So, you know, I'm, I'm bringing up one that my dad won. Um, just obviously I'm biased. Uh, of but course. you know, I, my dad beat Freddie by a foot and I remember them both skiing up onto the, the, the patch of, you know, that turf or whatever it was, or the carpet and Freddie grabbed my dad and pulled him back into the water. And, you know, they were just having fun and being, you know, they were, they were good friends. And, and I was, I jumped into the water. I asked my mom, you know, can I jump in if my dad wins? And I, I remember the announcer saying, you know, oh, Derek's son Dorian's going nuts. And, you know, that's one of my first <laughs> memories. I think I was five or six years old and. You know, I actually, nowadays when, when I like Moomba or something, if let's say Pato won one year and I tackled him into the water. So like that, it's funny how that memory kind of stuck with me. And it's something that I kind of have fun with guys now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that sort of playfulness that still has to be in place. Yeah. Um, was that present when you, when about your own skiing, like, were you able to keep it playful and fun? Despite uh, <laughs> the the type of royalty you were skiing with, uh, it's uh, it's tough. <laughs> well, you know, I try. I'm 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 trying to get better at it. Actually, it's something that I've really worked on the last, you know, couple years. Especially, um, the more that I've made this into what I am doing for a living. Obviously, I'm still going to school, but um, from the time that I came back from from Boston when I played hockey up there for high school, uh, it's you know, and taking it more seriously and doing it all year. Because when I was at school in Boston, I was, I was trying to play, you know, college hockey and then hopefully one day professional hockey while also still skiing. But I knew that I only had five or six months a year, kind of like all the European guys. Um, so I was pretty uptight for a while. And then I came back and I carried that same intensity and 
and I'm sure we'll get into this even more in a second, but yeah, obviously skiing with my parents, uh, it brings about its own intensities. Um, uh-huh. my dad and my relationship, especially obviously with my mom as well. She's always been there. Probably the, my biggest rock, my biggest supporter other than probably Sebastian and my dad as well. Um, but yeah, she's always been that buffer for the two of us if we get too intense. And, um, but yeah, I think that my dad and my relationship, it's so special on so many levels. Um, I mean, how many people can say, first of all, that they ski with their parents or a coach by their parents, but then also to compete against him and have him be a coach on the team when he's not competing and, you know, to stand on podiums together. It's, it's something that I'll never really be able to fully put into words how special that is to me. Um, yeah. And, and to, to actually, it's really interesting. Um, and I have to remind myself of this all the time. Uh, I, I might get some of the details on this wrong. I actually, I haven't read the book, but I think the, there's a book about the five love languages and you know how there's, um, material love language, which all, by the way, all of these are obviously there's, everybody has their own. So uh, there's no judgment on any of these, but you know, people that, show love and and can accept when other people give them gifts and that's how they fully appreciate love and then people that spend their time take their time out of their day to do things for other people um and then that's kind of my dad and i have never really been good at giving each other christmas gifts um we -hmm. actually we have this mutual understanding that we give each other gifts that we really want ourselves and in the process we both end up using the, the thing anyway um okay so yeah. So, and I know that he's just not that kind of guy, even with flowers for my mom, he just doesn't fully see the the value in that all the time. Um, just something that's temporary. But then on the other hand, you like that, that's why that book, when I was told about it, it made so much sense to me because, uh, no matter what I do to a, to a degree, obviously there are limits. I have to keep myself in check as well, but almost 99% of the time, even if I'm, if I'm being difficult or whatever, you know, he'll be in the boat the next day, the next set. And, you know, it, it's not that I'm immediately forgiven, but it's, it's something that he just, that's how, that's how he expresses, I think how much our family and, and I mean to him is by taking all that time and being there for me every day. And I, I was definitely really emotional at the world's, um, and, I just, yeah, at the end I, I had Tony, I knew Tony was about to, to send it off to the next portion of the podcast or the, the webcast. And, and I had to stop him for a second, just say that to everybody, because that moment was a culmination of so many things that my parents have done for me. And, and so many times that I've been difficult at times. And there's a lot of people that can also attest to that, like Janina has been here and she's seen some of the, the more intense times and she's been that buffer as well. And, but at the same time, yeah, my, my dad puts in hours and hours and hours just traveling and coaching and being there and, and, you know, even, even being a sports psych, it's funny. He hasn't really done, he never really did sports psychology when he was, you know, growing up. And I love the fact that we're now open enough to where I can say I've had a sports psych for a long time. Um, probably yeah. since I was 16, um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy how many things that he he figured out by himself. So he, they're the list of the things that my dad and my mom are to me is pretty much endless. Like they, there's so many different facets and things that I rely on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a the second that you have 
a parent coach is already you know uh, the, the dynamic of the relationship becomes complex yeah now you have a parent coach legend yeah. I, I can only imagine you know like how much more complex uh, it becomes um so give me give me a sense you, you said at the beginning and i want to get to the to the hockey soon but in the beginning it was a lot of like home let's say fairly structured training i'm assuming you know you're already living where you are now with a lake and a course in front of your house but then also the summer camp sort of like more european club skiing type of feel um which is generally more kids one lake scrambling for time to ski (laughs) constant comparison yeah yeah. (laughs) pretty much um what what are your what is your recollection of those days like what did you take from one place what do you take from the other yeah honestly uh that actually i would say it's still the same combo of two different styles that i'm using today um just between this year going to jacks and being here and that's yeah that's and i mean you know i was six seven eight years old when when i wasn't really loving skiing so you know as a as a kid you just want to do a bunch of different things so it's not at all the fault of me being here and it being regimented but yeah it was regimented and i was mainly the only skier here that was you know before uh when i was 12 and 13 and 14 and more kids started coming over we would i remember one one easter i think i was 12 or 13 years old and we had 14 kids here and so (laughs) you know i i constantly get kicked out of my room like i there we have uh, two guest rooms and then my room is basically another guest room if we need it um and that of course that yeah exactly and i i mean i when i grew up i loved sleeping on the couch i don't know why i thought it was the coolest thing um but yeah that like that that easter we had uh 14 kids and sebastian alexander who's sebastian's brother who also was a good great skier in his own right he uh broke the u14 slalom record in austria that had been held by uh mikey Wienerleiter for i think 20 25 years um and we all we all were sleeping in the living room so you know i had that later but at the beginning it definitely was just me my parents and they were obviously super focused on you know their own pro skiing and and yeah it 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 just it felt like training and then uh in europe it was yeah it was walk from my house down to franz oberleitner's house uh jump in the car six of us in the car drive over to fishelham ended up being yeah 12 or more kids running around the lake and you know we got to go to the the supermarket there and and buy our own food which man i mean i i love food and i was a bit chubby when i was a kid i'm i've i mean right it's off season right now i'm kind of chubby right now but uh i i just i thought it was the coolest thing you get to buy your own food you got to basically kind of pretend like you know we were little little adults and and then we go back to the lake and just go jump in the water and and ski and everything so you know and that's a classic austrian water ski tradition like you ski in the morning and then you go to the supermarket and you f- you fix your food no matter if you're 8 or 73 like yeah. that's how it works <laughs> yeah exactly and and it was just i mean and yeah obviously you know we we weren't master chefs at least most of us weren't so we're out there we're buying just like sliced bread and some cheese and some ham and we throw it in the little toaster oven and we thought we were the the yeah we thought we were you know the Jamie Olivers of the world, the uh, Gordon Ramsays, right. which I guess Europe Europeans don't look at Gordon Ramsay the way we do here in the U.S. But here in the U.S., he's considered you know top notch. Um, right, right. But yeah, so so that that in of itself, just hanging out with all the kids, that was so fun for me. And 
And like I said, you know, that's the way I went about this year. And I started the year, uh, probably the first three, four months until April, skied here every single day. It was mostly just my dad and myself and my mother. Um, and yeah, after a while, I kind of started to, you know, get tired and we can go into this later, but I, I actually, I, I went through burnout earlier. I know you just did a podcast on this recently. Um, and I, it was, that was pretty heavy. Um, so then after when I got back, I, I took a little short break, went to Europe, uh, knowing that, you know, that was kind of the best place for me to kind of rest and recharge and came back a couple of weeks later, got back on track and then, uh, went up to Jack's and that was when, you know, it kind of, everything opened up a little bit more for me in terms of having fun this year again. Um, and like, you know, like we said earlier, just, just enjoying skiing instead of getting so intense about the details all the time. Um, right. Which is, which is so easy to do in a, in a sport like ours. Yeah, right? exactly. Like the details are, like, I think the challenge is always, like, trying not to get over overblown by the details and, and just pick the two or three main ones and stay with those. Yeah. Um, and I definitely want to get into that. Um, one of the things I noticed, and let, let's see if I'm on the right track. So, you know, there, there's, there seems to be this constant, you know, okay, I'm training, it's an individual sport, and then I enjoy when I'm in groups, right? Whether it's in Austria or at Jacks lately. Yeah. Um, do you think it's it has something to do with hockey? Like meaning that sort of like wanting to be part of a team rather than than being an individual athlete? Yeah, I think for sure. Um, as you were just starting to say that, the first thing that popped in my mind is that it's probably because of hockey. Um, you know, I I haven't fully talked about this with other people that haven't played team sports it'd actually be really interesting to have that conversation now um but yeah definitely uh that's the thing i would say that i probably miss the most about hockey i mean obviously the speed and the fluidity of the game i actually played this morning um oh nice it's so it's so fun and i you know skiing is the sport that i love to do more than any sport but i would say that you know hockey is in my opinion the greatest sport on the planet um and I, I might get some, some some feedback on that. You know, we can put up a poll or something. Do you agree or disagree well, with me? I agree. And this comes from someone who doesn't know how to skate for for crap. Uh, <laughs> but as a as a well, obviously a, a sport professional, but also um, curiosity. Like I I believe is the best sport of all of them. Yeah. And I have my own idea of why, but I'm curious to hear yours, obviously, because you play. Yeah, I mean, for me, just having played it and the the speed of the game and the the uh, like all the you know soccer and and lacrosse and and basketball and even even American football, um, they have different like there's different dynamics in each game. Obviously, each set, each play, like nothing's ever f- exactly the same. But hockey just is so fast in that re- regard. So you always have to be thinking. You always have to have your head up. And I love that. And I love seeing the ice, having the puck, and just scanning the ice and and seeing and i'm super analytical and you know that that probably also comes from skiing and and also from school um i was always a science and math kid when i was in school so yeah i i just that aspect of the game is so interesting to me and you know i go watch all the time now i went to a professional game last week and i went up to see one of my my best friends like kind of like a little brother growing up uh jake wise and he's playing up at Ohio State, and he actually got drafted to the Blackhawks uh, a couple oh, of years wow. back. So 
Yeah, he and he like you watch those guys play even at the collegiate level and just some of the things that they do in the moment, you just you sit there and you're like, man, like I I still think I could do it, but some of the things that these kids are doing is it's incredible. Um, so yeah, I um, I just I, I love the game and and to 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 go back to what we were saying before, you know, having the team aspect and. And the, the one thing that I think skiing really misses and is not, I don't know if there's a way to really fix this. Um, jump is probably the closest that comes to what I'm about to say. Uh, and it's the, the build up to the game, just walking into the game and knowing that, you know, for a lack of a better term, uh, going to war with the guys next to you. And you know, it's going to be a physical guys are going to get hit. Like there's always a chance that you can get hurt in all sports and, you just know that you can depend on the guy next to you and that whole build up and the excitement of the game. And that I miss that because I, I personally am working on this a lot. Um, when it comes to slalom and trick, especially, you know, you get one chance and if you fall, that's it. And so there's a lot of times where I feel like as skiers, all of us, we go into tournaments and you you're holding your breath through the, the, like most of it. And it was something that I worked on so much before this world's and, I was so proud, you know, of the work that we put in as a team with my sports psych and everybody that, that I actually was able to, when I jumped in the water at the worlds this year for slalom being the first event and also knowing, you know, obviously slalom is I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. And, but it, I would say it's my weakest event and it's the event where, you know, if I had run a half at 39 or run 39, it's, it's the, it, you know, it's something that I'm, I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to come out of slalom, but when I jumped in the water, I, uh, I actually felt like this, oh, cool. Like finally I get to go out and just do this. Like I've been waiting for this moment mm. instead of holding my breath and just saying, I got to get through this. And, uh, that's, yeah, that's definitely something I've worked on a lot with my sports psych over the years. Um, but yeah, like just creating, creating good anticipation rather than like dreading the moment. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, to go a little bit more technical on that, I, yeah, I started working with a different sports psychologist the last three years. Um, and he started to realize when I would talk about slalom, I would always, you know, mention my height or mention something as like a little bit of a buffer, but then also that I was looking at slalom as more of, I just have to get a good overall score. And if you look at my scores, uh, before probably the last two years, so, you know, in the time period that I started working with this sports psych, there was a lot of three at 39s, like so many three at 39s. And up until now in the last two years, you know, with Joel, myself, Adam and Coleman and Danilo and now Louie, you know, before that three at 39 was a great overall score and yep. it's still a decent overall score, but it's, you definitely, you need more now. And so there were so many years where I just ran three, 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 and I'd run 38 and it, I would feel so nice and easy going through 38. And then I'd get slack at one turn two, get to three. And I would just leave tournaments and I would think, man, like this just, it's not fun right now because I do all this work. I, I run, you know, at the time probably run four passes or three passes because I would start at 28, sometimes 32, but I would do all this work and then I would end up just running the same score. And I finally got to the point where I got back to, you know, loving slalom again because I was pushing myself to try to run 39 every tournament or try to, you know, whatever the conditions were, just ski, ski as well as I could ski instead of worrying about the overall score. And, and another thing that, you know, he, my sports psych helped me realize, um, was 
part of that is because slalom was my first love with skiing because that was when I was younger and I was 12 and 13, 14, I was actually kind of tall, which is shocking. Um, I was about, (laughs) by the time I was 14, I don't think I've grown since then. Um, but you know, I, 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 I developed really quickly in terms of slalom. I ran, you know, was running into, into 38s when I was 12. And I I mean, I don't know about the scores nowadays, they might be better, but I, I won the Europeans in slalom first. And then, um, you know, was running a two at 39, I think, yeah, two at 39 when I was 14 and at the time that was an unofficial world record. And, um, so, you know, that it was, it was, it's an interesting perspective on the fact that I started as a slalom skier first, and then all of a sudden, you know, started to become more of a jumper by the end of my, my years in, in juniors, um, when I, when I won the junior masters and jumped twice. And obviously I was, you know, I was getting good at overall at that point. And then been interesting. Then I got hurt, um, blew out my knee and missed the whole year. And then jump obviously took a step back because I was trying to get my confidence back from the injury. And then I became a tricker for a while, you know, I just kind of, um, started to progress really, really well in tricks. And I, I, I do credit Pato a lot with that because Pato and I, are and were really good friends uh, even when he was you know 12 13 14 and we would mm-hmm. go ski together and i'd watch how much that he would jump on the trampoline and watch videos and and it pushed me to try to be better because i didn't i didn't want this 14 year old kid i'm 18 and i could i can't let him beat me like come on um of course which you know nowadays it's not really that big a deal anymore when you say oh yeah pato beat me i mean obviously i still don't want to get beaten but you know, now everybody's not beating him. So, you know, but back then I was like, ah, oh, this guy's 14. Like, come on, you got to be better than this. Um, well, I mean, two months ago you did beat him, but yeah. I think we're <laughs> jumping a little too far. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, so, you know, here you are juniors. You have, you start as a slalomer, first love, first course, then jump, you know, probably also thanks to, family tradition yeah, kind of comes up kind of helps and in the midst of all of this there's hockey and you said you moved to boston for co- for high school yeah now yeah. what where was the decision what was the motivation like were you still a bit of wearing both shoes you know like sort of binding and, and skates and yeah what brought you there and how was that experience uh well yeah first i mean you know looking back on it now obviously I'm not playing professional hockey, um, but I don't regret that decision at all. I mean, could I be better than I am right now in terms of skiing? I, for sure. I took four years of less skiing and focusing, like you said, having having my foot in both camps and probably doing both at 70, 80% rather than one at 100%. Um, and I, I do think about that from both perspectives, actually, of, of you know, if I had only played hockey, could I have been better? And and I would take the summers off because I'd go to Europe and ski. And um, at the same time, if I just skied, would I have been better? Um, but, you know, first of all, when I left for Boston, I was 14, just turning 15. So I was really young and I went to boarding school. So I was by myself. Um, and that experience as a whole, I, I have lifelong friends that, you know, I don't get to see as much as I want to, which is, you know, <laughs> probably a lot my fault if you ask anybody and i literally mean anybody they will tell you actually you probably can even answer this too because i did it to you i'm the worst texter on the planet the worst (laughs) um 
And I I know I know worse ones. Don't don't worry. Oh, okay. I, no, I, I, I have I, colleagues I, and friends and <laughs> no, you you're you're average low, but okay, you're not yeah, the yeah. worst. Um, but so I have lifelong friends from there, and I have so many experiences from playing hockey at that school. Um, you know, I got to play at Fenway Park outside against our rival school, and I scored I scored the first goal of the game, and we ended up we we lost two to one in the last five minutes of the game. They scored two goals, but you know there was a moment in the third period where I looked up and I, I just saw the stars. And playing hockey against our rival team, we're winning one nothing. I scored. They said my name on the jumbotron. The whole school's there. Like, that's a memory that you know, not many people have in general. And then for me to have it in a sport that, you know, I loved, and then to still be doing a different sport professionally. I mean, you know, that's such a cool thing to be able to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, just going away to a boarding school in general, like it, it gave me a sense of responsibility and and. The school was really good too. Like I, a lot of the kids, I would say 50, 60, 70% of the kids in my class ended up at Ivy league schools. And that was a perfect setting for me as somebody that was, um, a competitive person. So I, I excelled in terms of, you know, studying hard and having all these really, really smart kids around me. And, you know, I think they all lifted me up to just do, do the best that I could in school. Um, so in terms of, you know, school, it was great. In terms of growing up as a kid, it was great. Also appreciating the fact that, you know, my my parents are pretty cool. I, I don't feel embarrassed to say that. You know, I, I didn't I didn't get, or I had four years of, of college experience before I even went to college. So a lot of kids realize in college how much they actually enjoy spending time with their parents. And I got that early. Um, yeah, and then, like I just said, you know, the... The hockey thing, it didn't work out in the end that I, I made it professionally. And had I been given the choice of both, I I don't I don't know which one I would have chosen. Obviously, I've seen, you know, the grass always greener kind of thing. And I watch hockey now and I'm like, oh, I wish that I could do that. It's so cool. And, right. and even Jake, watching Jake play this last weekend, you know, it was against Michigan. So obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, huge rivalry. And people huge. were going nuts in the stands. And, and it, it, it made me emotional. Like, first of all, I was so proud watching him. Um, so happy that he's playing well and, and I'm really excited to hopefully that see him play in the NHL soon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an experience like no other going to a school like that and, and learning not only, you know, a bunch of different things by being away from home, but learning a lot about yourself and how I functioned as a person on my own and, and being responsible. Um, yeah, so very formative experiences as a young adolescent who yeah. goes away from home alone chasing a dream, yeah, right? The fact sure. that it was hockey rather than the water skiing in that regard is is uh, insignificant. Yeah. But one specific I'm interested in, because my understanding is this was a very, like, you went there for hockey. So the hockey level was high, the expectations from the coaches, the system were high. Yeah. Did you learn anything there, um, whether it is preparation for competition, training regimens, anything that you learned in those four years that you possibly transferred to your skiing when you made the decision? Uh, yeah. Um, first of all, it, I mean, they, you always, the cliche thing to say is you never know a good thing till it's gone. And my first year I, I played American football. We had to play three sports. Um, and one of them 
you could eventually go to the gym and do that as your sport. So for hockey players, we did that in the fall. But my freshman year, I played football and then played hockey. And then uh, actually they let me ski in the spring. And eventually I'd play lacrosse in the spring. So I would do the fall, I would do ho- uh, skiing, then hockey, and then lacrosse. Um, and But for the first year, like I... It's not that I didn't miss skiing at all, but I was just cool being able to do something different. And, you know, like, like we've already said, you know, hockey is one of the sports that I love the most. And I was really invested in that and trying to make, make the most of that opportunity. And, but then by the middle of my sophomore year, I, I, I kind of had a little bit of a rough time that year for hockey. Uh, the start of the year didn't go well. Actually, the end of the year went really well for me, but right around the middle, I realized how badly I wanted to be skiing again. And how much I missed it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it really opened my eyes again to to see how much I loved skiing. And so that for me was the biggest takeaway. It was just realizing the passion that I had for skiing and, and that I actually did want to go back and ski after high school, not because hockey wasn't gonna go as easily or wasn't gonna work out, but actually because it was something that I wanted to do. Um and then also, yeah, just the 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 preparation of, of having to utilize your time in the best way possible. Um, that was huge, uh, in, in about March or, you know, end of March, early April, I'd start trying to train for the junior masters. And, um, at the time I was, I was skiing with the, a guy that he actually is cool. Um, he, the guy whose family I skied with, his dad just moved to South Carolina and he just two weeks ago became a member of the trophy Lake ski club. So like ah, no way. Cra- crazy small world. Yeah. One of the, one of the people that worked there, she texted me and she was like, man, it's a crazy world. This guy said that he's friends with you. And I was like, yeah, you just, you don't even know half the story. Like his, his son was literally my senior advisor at school. Um, so that's ah, cool. Like wow. that, that's one of the awesome things about skiing is this small community and everybody knows each other. And we all have like this little interconnected web, but, uh, yeah, just the efficiency of having to use my time because I was skiing and, and that family that I was skiing with, they literally had a, a rock, they called it the rock boat because at the beginning of the year, the water was so cold and the water was low and every now and then you would, you'd hit a rock or something. So <laughs> it, oh, it was a mess. I mean, it was an old boat and the, the spray from the boat was literally going over my head and it was freezing. I was wearing a speed, uh, not a speed suit, a dry suit. So it definitely made me appreciate how awesome Florida is. I, I will say that I will never, ever complain about how hot it is. I mean, you know, obviously within good reason, there are times where it's 110 or whatever, and everybody's right. like, oh, it's so hot. But I will never, ever complain that it's too hot because of what I had to ski in when I was up there. Um, but yeah, so I think a good mix of, you know, using your time efficiently and and also just finding that, that passion having just another reminder of how much how much it meant to me yeah which obviously you know time efficiency in a sport like ours where you know many guests have said it with like in in previous episodes you just can't do so many reps in water skiing like there's just no way that the 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 limit of more reps are just going to be detrimental is so low that you have to know how to use your time on the water effectively and in a very efficient manner for sure um no, that's that's a super cool thing. Like one last question about that. So the there was a time as you sort of alluded to where eventually you realized in your own words that the hockey thing wasn't gonna work out. Yeah. Right. Now that reminds me of a couple of situations that your mom had like that. 
which they they sprouted from success yeah but also a very keen awareness of mm, this is not maybe not as far as it will go but it won't go further than that yeah do you notice a similarity were you sort of like having the same awareness and and what brought that awareness yeah um i think that that sophomore year the one that i referred to as being tough like at the beginning of the year i wasn't getting a lot of ice time and and it was the first moment where i thought okay maybe maybe this i might not be doing this but you know i i picked it up like i said at the end of that year and and hey I don't know if there are very many hockey players in the world that you'll talk to that won't say that, Oh yeah, I could have made it. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one of those guys. Like, you know, I, I, I actually, the skate that I went to this morning, it was all division one players, got a couple guys that are currently playing D one and a couple guys that played pro. And I'm the only guy out there that didn't play college hockey. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, you know, I, it, it definitely reminds you that this these guys are really, really good, but just the fact that I'm out there and mixing it up and, and just for fun, still hanging with those guys. I personally, my pride and my ego tells me, Oh, I still could do it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, could I have, could I have played in Europe or could I have played in the minor leagues or whatever? I, I would like to think so, but, uh, it was kind of, yeah, towards the middle of my senior year, uh, I was starting to actually get a lot of college interest, which was awesome. That was such a fun experience. And, um, anybody that is a skier, even, you know, go, go to those recruitment weekends and, and go hang out with the team. And we already talked about that and, and how the team for me is a big thing. So, you know, I might be biased, but going to collegiate nationals this year and, and hang out with the team, like, I don't think people really understand how important that was for me. And I, I tried to tell the team there, but you know, we just came off the world. So most people were like, oh yeah, whatever collegiate nationals have fun. But I was so nervous because of how important it was. And and like I said, you know, if you get those college opportunities to go and to tour the school and to hang out and to kind of get pampered a little bit, like it's always nice to have somebody say that they want you, I'll go for it. Like go enjoy that time. And and so for me, I was I was starting to get college interest and uh, had coaches come out to the games. And, and the one school that stood out for me above all was Yale. I wanted to go play hockey at Yale. I don't I don't know exactly why. Um obviously ivy league i think i I like the color blue so maybe that was why um but the coach came and and there was a lot of interest in the first game he came we played well we won and the second game um here's another thing that all hockey players do that have played at a high level they'll talk about all the guys that they played against so i played against a team that has a guy that plays in the nhl now so every time i see him i point him out i'm like that guy that's the guy and um so we played against them and, and we lost eight to one. And I didn't feel like I played that bad, but we lost eight to one. And that in and of itself was not great. And that was it. That was the last time the coach ever came to watch me play. And that first of all shows you how hard it is to make it as a hockey player or any, any high level sport like that. Obviously it's hard. Um, but that, yeah, that was for me, that was kind of a bit of a tough moment because that's, I think where it set in that for some reason that was the, that was the, it. like I, that was the dream, and now I kind of think I'm gonna play ho- or ski instead. Um, you know, I wasn't fully committed to which way I wanted to go until I f- actually sent in my college uh, deposit when I decided to go to Rollins. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It was it just that that was the moment. For some reason, I knew deep down that I wanted to go back and I wanted to ski, and I just was gonna be happier as a as a whole. I would get really upset with myself obviously also after skiing my dad would say that but uh um 
every hockey game, there was always something that I could have done, something I could have done better. Even if I scored a goal, it was, you know, I could have done this, I could have done that. So, um, the sports psych that I did, sports psychology that I did when I was younger, um, I think was actually more important for my hockey. And I never fully, I think my mentality was the biggest thing that held me back when I was playing hockey. And it was something that I benefited from in skiing later by working on all that. Um, but yeah, I was always, you know, I was hard on myself and worried about letting the other guys on the team down, which again, like the team aspect for me is so important being able to rely on people. Um, yeah. And then in the end, the, the injury that I had, uh, I think it was, you know, late April, early May of that year, I was just getting out of school or just finishing school up in Boston. I was supposed to go to Rollins the next year and ski full time for the first time. So I was excited. Um, and then I went down to McCormick's, um, and I tried to start jumping 200 feet in two days. And I think I was 18 at the time, just going up in speed. So it was a lot of things that I, sh- I shouldn't have pushed that hard. Like, you know, when you lose respect for jumping or any, any aspect of skiing, once you lose that respect for how dangerous it really is, that's when things can definitely go wrong. Um, yep. and I thought I was indestructible at the time and, you know, uh, ended up passing, clipping the corner and came off and it ripped my one ski back and yeah, tore my PCL and my MCL. And, you know, not, not that it was lucky that I chose skiing and then got hurt, but it was definitely better than having played hockey and gotten hurt right after, because I don't know that injury. I don't know if I could have made it back the the progression that everybody was on. I don't know if I could have made it back for hockey. So that would have, it would have actually ended my hockey career probably if I had had that. Granted, I, I might not have been skiing if I had chosen hockey, but so yeah, then that, that whole process obviously was tough too, um, because I had just finished hockey and, and I actually, I didn't play hockey for probably three and a half years after that. So it was a mixture of, you know, missing the game and not wanting to, not wanting to, to it to end and then being upset when it ended and then being hurt and being so worried about coming back for skiing again. And, you know, we, ju- I just talked about how going to Boston fueled that fire for my passion i think the injury to my knee um really again showed me how much i love skiing because that was the only thing on my mind for nine months was i need to get back i need to get back on the water and i i want to be better than ever and i want to come back and and you know get all these goals and accomplishments that my parents have and the ones that i've been setting since i was a kid so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well so like what I hear is a lot of like things that contributed. And in, in fairness, it seemed to me that like, as opposed to maybe some of the similar decisions that your mom made in her journey, you had, you had again, one foot in the binding, one foot in the skates. Yeah. So for you, it wasn't that, um, I guess, uh, um, okay, I realized this is the end. What do I do next? Like you, you knew what was next if you had gone one way or the other. Yeah. Um, just, uh, one one question before we go to post post high school and into college so you obviously skied um junior masters junior worlds that those type of big events as a junior um and you were skiing for austria at the time yep now more than the worlds i'm interested and and i mean there's there should be a lot about worlds also because your dad was part of the first junior worlds ever done i mean there's a whole side there but i'm more interested about masters simply because of what you said about you know the story of you jumping in water with dad and masters being 
part of what you saw since you were a little kid. Um, how did you leave those those junior masters, especially given that you were playing hockey at the time, like you had this whole thing going on? Yeah, it's actually hey, it's good that we're not talking about the junior worlds because uh, surprisingly, I never went to a junior worlds, not one. And uh-huh. yeah, and that was partially because of school, just timing wise, and um, yeah, and I actually I never it's crazy I I went to I went to one under twenty one worlds when I was seventeen. And I, you know, I had the speed still down and I wasn't really like, it wasn't about winning. Um, and then I only went to one at the end when I was 21 in Ukraine and I, I didn't win and I was the favorite favorite to win overall and I didn't win. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I've always had this goal to be world champion and, and I never went to a junior worlds. I never won another 21 worlds. And then I, I, this is my first world title this year this year yeah no way so you know i guess if if i were trying to trying to give a little message to a bunch of people out there you know a don't ever stop trying to keep going for that goal that you want like you know i I, as much as i wanted to win a junior worlds i had other goals as well and with hockey and stuff and never went and and it didn't bother me you know i I always figured open worlds is the one i want to win and then went to the under 20 worlds and thought i do want to win this obviously um and then didn't get it and but at the same time i just kind of kept putting my head down kept moving and you know i i i figured i i shouldn't say i knew because we can get into that as well but you know i always knew that i was gonna fight to get a world title um so yeah kind of interesting side note that i never went to a junior worlds um so uh shoot what was the question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, junior oh, masters. Junior masters. Because you did, you, you did say you won junior masters yeah. more than once. You, you sound like you went to a few of those, and I like the the premise of you going as a little kid with dad, and now skiing those tournaments, scrambling preparation after high school or during high school. What what do you recall? Because you know, like this is my personal experience, but I got to see it with our guest when you go to masters for the first time as a skier, even as a junior skier you are sort of like overwhelmed by the, by the greatness, right? But you, because of your upbringing, you already seen it. Yeah. So what was it for you to ski in it? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Junior Masters, awesome. So much fun. Um, and it's obviously, it's super challenging and everybody tells, same thing with Moomba. Like you get there and everybody's like, yep, be ready. Like it's going to be hard. It's hard. And you're yeah. always like, ah, yeah, I got this. No worries. No problem. I actually, like, Moomba, I went out at 32 my first year. and <laughs> I regretted that decision. Um, right. Anyway, yeah. So I went out first year junior masters. I uh, actually was nuts. I So the year before, I, tr- I wanted to qualify when I was 14. And I had the scores at LCQ to qualify for overall. But that was the one year where they decided that they weren't going to have juniors qualify. Um, so I didn't get to go. And that was the year that my dad, I think was coming back from injury. It was 2011 and he had just hurt his knee at the, uh, the masters before. And then him and Scott qualified at LCQ. My dad went 228, Scott went 226. And oh, I remember that year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a cool LCQ. And so then I went and I watched, um, and I, we were, I was skiing with Santi and Alejo Robledo uh, Janina was here and Camille from France was here. So we had a big group and, you know, had a lot of fun, but I was, I was the guy that didn't ski and that uh, it annoyed me. And, right. and, and then the next year I was second overall behind Josh Bryan on the world ranking list. 
and I hadn't skied that many tournaments because I was at that point I was at school in Boston and at the end of the year Ronnie called my dad and she said oh man like that's too bad that Dorian didn't qualify he's fourth and we're like what do you mean like I'm second and it turns out that some some signature on a pa- piece of paper the homologator like it was the wrong person or whatever so they threw out the the ratings for that tournament uh, and it was one of the only tournaments I'd skied. So I, I dropped down and I ended up rushing from school to LCQ that year, then qualified at LCQ. So then I had to go out first off the dock and everything at the masters, which honestly probably was a good thing for my first year. Like just get out, get it done. And, and it was interesting for a guy that considers himself really competitive. I wasn't super uptight about how I was going to ski. I just, I think having seen, how everybody or how like the pros handled themselves around the masters and having been there i think that prepared me really well in a sense that i was going to enjoy it and and i was going to go out and just just ski the way that you know i could that day and that's it's that's probably the biggest piece of advice i've always carried from my mom is she says it so many times and at times i roll my eyes because she says it all the time but uh she always said, you know, I'm, you can only ski as good as you can ski, which is maddening at times because sometimes as good as we can ski isn't enough on that day. Um, but, you know, I always look at it as that's not the point, like pushing yourself to be as good as you can be or to maybe be a little bit better than you even thought possible on that day is that's what really matters. Like that's the whole point of competing. Um, yeah. Actually, you know, a little little side note. Um I was in a class at Rollins. Um, I guess this is one of the beauties of liberal arts. I had to take a health and wellness class to graduate. And the teacher, this is the, the thing that stuck with me the most about that class, is the teacher said that the word compete comes from the Latin words come and pete. And so it's it's striving or struggling together, which striving actually sounds better. So let's just go with that. Um, right. But so the the literal definition of compete is to for a bunch of people to come together and to push themselves to all be better. So, you know, when you look at competing in that sense, it completely changes the word or completely changes the vibe of, of why we do this. We're not doing yeah. this to, you know, obviously medals and, and world titles are really important. I, I'm definitely not going to say that they're not because, you know, I've, I've stressed so long about winning a world title and breaking the world record. And um, people can tell you how much this, this the last year has meant to me. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I went out at the masters and I just kind of enjoyed it and had fun that day. And, and I was young, so I didn't, I wasn't too stressed. I just kind of wanted to take it to everybody. And, um, I think that year I made the finals in trick and didn't, didn't jump particularly amazing. <laughs> um, and I don't exactly, it's surprising. I don't remember how I slalomed, but I know I finished third and overall behind Santi and Josh. And I finished second in tricks behind Josh and in front of Santi. And, you know, Santi and I grew up together skiing and he's, he's hilarious. Actually, he'd be a really funny person to interview because he's had such and a... Santi was good, man. Yeah, really, wow. really he good. really good. Really good. And, you know? and watching, really good. watching him here, he had so much talent. It was so fun. And uh, when he was here, those, those couple of years that I just talked about was the years where he started growing out the dreads. So it was an interesting right. time, like a lot of, a lot of growing as a whole for us as kids and him growing the dreads and us just growing up together. It was fun. Um, 
but yeah finding so, identity yeah 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 and so that was my first master's and then the next one after i came back and i was already qualified and and still trained really hard coming back in and i always took a couple weeks off of school or one week off of school to come down for to train and go to lcq and that year i definitely put more pressure on myself to like okay this i want to i want to do well and yeah, that, that second year went really, really well. I made the finals in all three events. Uh, I ended up skiing six times on that one day, which, you know, it's kind of the awesome thing about junior masters. You just, you get it done yeah. on that Friday and then you get to hang out with, with the group and, you know, always kind of comes back to this group thing. Like we, we go over to the, when they had this, the slides and all the stuff on the other side and just, you know, hang out and enjoy being competitors together. Um, but yeah, that year, which I, I saw that again this year. I brought uh, Florian, yeah. one of the juniors, the skis with me, and just being able to observe it years later, just letting him lose, obviously with a side view on him, like it, it's just so much fun, you oh, know. Yeah. Like the the competition, the the level is raised on the Friday, yeah. uh, and then sa- Friday evening, Saturday, Sunday, you get to be sort of like enchanted by the level of skiing yeah. around you and meet new friends. You yeah. Know? No, I, uh-huh. I mean. Hey, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give any bad, bad, uh, ideas to kids listening out there. Cause I mean, we had some fun. Hey, then it was all legal fun, by the way, just, just, just to yeah, point yeah, out, of course, but, of course. but like, I mean, okay. Like jumping off the pavilion stuff like that, like stuff we weren't Classic. supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, like things like that, that, you know, just memories that I have of the masters. Like, obviously I remember skiing at the masters and like I said, that second year, I won jump, I won overall, I finished second in slalom and third in tricks. So like I couldn't have had a better tournament really. Um, and yet the things I remember more are the times off the water, like jumping off the pavilion and then the the security guard coming down and searching for us. And we were floating underneath the dock trying to hide and <laughs> going over to the, the iceberg when that was the, a thing over on the other side. And it was this big floating iceberg you climbed up and somehow i don't know how but somehow it got broken at the end of the end of that weekend and wasn't i don't know anyway uh, who knows uh, yeah. who knows how it happened these things happen who knows how it happened? um anyway yeah so that second year was awesome and then the third year followed it up really well as well one jump again one overall again uh finished third in slalom in one of the coolest slalom events that i've been a part of um it was the year that brando uh, one and Eamon Vandermeer came in second. He's a kid from South Africa. And the three of yeah. us had kind of grown up skiing against each other at all the Europeans. And another side note, Europeans, I'm sorry. I know I'm Canadian and Pan Ams and everything, but like, man, Europeans is the most fun, <laughs> most fun events. I mean, it's like Europeans, collegiate nationals, junior masters, like those are, and Moomba, those are, oh my God, above, above. Um, but yeah. Speaking so- of, speaking of masters, Europeans, juniors, your last year, you won jump. And I just want to hear your take on this because I was there. Who was I there with? Robert, maybe. I was there. With, I brought some junior there yeah. as a coach. And I remember you jumped 56 and a half to take the win. But after you, Felix went. And I remember he had this humongous, monstrous jump yeah. that he didn't, he didn't land. Basically, yeah. he landed and then he sort of fell. I'm just curious, just a snippet, <laughs> what were you thinking when you saw him take off? Because I remember the whole place went bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was my second year. Um, and oh, was it your second year? Yeah, oh, okay. it was. It was my second year. And 
I do. I remember that pretty clearly. I actually, I remember like very clearly not watching as he hit the jump, but I heard the crowd off the top and I, I immediately turned around and, and, you know, as much as I wanted to do well, obviously I was at, I was up in school and, and, you know, once, once you ski and once you, like my mom said, once you do as well as you can do that day, you can't really be upset with other people beating you. I mean, yes, you can you physically can be upset. I mean, trust me, I was mad. I was mad at the worlds when, when I didn't win overall and everything, but, um, but yeah, I remember him coming off the top and I was like, Oh, here we go. And then he didn't, yeah, he didn't land the jump and it wasn't his last jump. So he still had another chance. And anybody, anybody that can, anybody can tell you that watching is the worst part. It's the, it's the most fun when you win after, but it's all, well, no, actually I take that back. Being on the water and winning is probably more fun, but, uh, it's it's so nerve-wracking and he went out and and he fell and and then taylor was still last and taylor was favored to win and i remember taylor's first two jumps were okay and then his third jump i i don't know i i'm always that guy that's a little bit cautious which is funny because i do want to say like you know throwing the fist i know there's a lot of people out there that say don't throw the fist like act like you've been there before i am somewhat completely against that mentality um but I remember Taylor landed his last jump and I was standing there and, and Corbin Geyer was there with me. I think he skied at that masters and he was yelling like, dude, you got it. You got it. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm waiting for that score to come up. Um, and then, yeah, once the score came up, they pushed me in the water and we were all going nuts. And, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, and Felix, I mean, man, he's had, he's had some tough, tough couple of goes these last couple of years. And I feel for him because man, he was so good as a junior, like another guy that was unreal. I mean, <laughs> Like him and when T- Timmy was obviously older than all of us and Timmy was still like the guy for junior jumping. Yeah. Like, I don't know if, I don't know how anybody will ever be like that. I mean, Paul was pretty unbelievable. Taylor also, obviously, and a couple other guys, but Timmy was great. And then Felix was coming up and it was just like, dude, this guy is going to be so good. And then he did that at the masters and it was one of his earlier years. And and then, yeah, just recently, obviously the injuries and it's just so tough to watch that because you know how talented he is. And, you know, I wish him all the best. I, having gone through an injury myself, would never want somebody to go through that. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, the challenges. Yeah. But I, I yeah. think, I think, you know, as much as that was tough for him falling on that jump, uh, you know, I, I, it is what it is. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing as the world's this year, you know, um, did, did I have the biggest trick run? I mean, I went for my big run. I didn't even, I didn't get all my tricks in. I lost ski line back to back at the end. And, and at the end of the day, like it's, did everybody fall? Yes. And is that, you know, does that take away from it? No, not at all. Like you still got to go out and do it. And falling on a landing has happened before it'll happen again. And, and you hate to see it, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it, it worked out for me. So yeah. No, no, of course, of course. I was just curious because I, I remember, I remember those three or four seconds, basically yeah. the time that it took from him leaving the ramp to the crowd go, what? Yeah. And then as he couldn't land, it went like, no, you yeah. know, but I, I was curious to hear the story from the guy who, who won. Yeah, you know? no. And, and we're all, I mean, obviously we're super competitive, all of us and Felix and I are good friends. I really enjoy hanging out with him. And, and I remember at the banquet after we had the whole, all the juniors were at one table and I got up for the, I think it was the rocket man award. Um, and, 
he he said something like just a little dig like oh that that should have been me in like a funny way like i don't i don't want people right. to listen to that and say oh like that's a kind of a jerk thing to say like he said it in a funny way and i just kind of looked at him and gave him like the not not that i knew it at the time but like almost like the jordan shrug like yeah well that's just what it <laughs> is right. um right. and we kind of laughed about it i don't know he might have been a little upset still but you know that yeah i i know there's stories of like i think I don't, I don't know if I want to get this wrong, but I think Jimmy Clooney or someone, my dad said, broke the world record and got up and threw the fist so hard that they, they actually fell backwards on the, on the fist pump. So like it's happened, it happens. So, um, and I mean, the master is as rolly as it is anyway. So, you know, things happen. Yeah. It's tough. Hey, look, Dorian. How about we take a little break, and when we come back, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go through the the U twenty one years and into more recent stuff. Cool. Sounds good. Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> 